fear the talking queers. Now that we're all here, the party can begin. Hey, bitch. Boo, bitch. Oh, bitch, it's spooky season already. Yes, October has arrived. Thank fuck. The season that was designed <laughs> for us horror fans. So what do we have on the agenda today on this spooky October evening? Um, so through all of October, we're going to do this thing that we came up with um, called Trick and Treat. And <laughs> I just made that up. Did you? Just, I was like, did we come up with that? But no, no, we didn't. On the spot. That's right. That's a real professional. A professional hoe. I'm a professional hoe. <laughs> Shutter, please call us because that's what you need. You need somebody who can think on the spot. Elvira, those days are over. Joe, Bob, Briggs, those days are over. Like, yeah. it's time for Fear the Talking Queer. Time for us. Bring us in. We'll do it for yes. free. No, we won't. <laughs> for only three episodes, but the rest of them you have to pay. Yeah. <laughs> and then pro-rate us. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. um, no, so trick and treat. So basically, we're going to, we have two wheels. And if you've listened to the show for several seasons now, you know that we love to spin our wheels. Girl, that's even how we pick our episodes for the season. <laughs> literally, literally, if you're new, I know most we've talked about this before in the past. But if you're new and you're wondering just how we pick these episodes, we uh, literally spin a wheel and we're like, great. Sometimes we like veto it if we're like, no, I'm not feeling that. But for the most part, we let yeah. the wheel decide. So we are continuing yeah. that tradition here on this spooky Hollywood, Hollywood, wow, Halloween season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yes. So we have two wheels. One is called treats and one is called tricks. Our treat wheel, we're going to spin, and that's going to give us our intro topic for all of our October episodes. Um, And then we'll explain the treat wheel as we get to it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That'll be a fun one. So, okay, let's spin the treat wheel and see what topic we'll be talking about for our intro today. Woo! Cue the applause! Okay, so we got our Halloween playlist essential. Oh my god. Oh wait, this is actually a good one. I do like this. Yeah. Right? Okay, so let's each pick ten songs. Ooh, okay. Alright. This is hard. Okay, let me see. Mm, okay, I have like a Halloween playlist. I know we shared it last year on yeah. Instagram. But yes. um I li- I ev- like all throughout the year for me, like I hear a new song that could potentially be on my or not potentially that could go on the playlist, I put it on. Like I build I've been building this Halloween playlist for like years. Years. So. As long as I've known you, you've had this playlist. Alright, now let the music play. Alright, so I'm gonna pick my number one. Okay, go. Okay, so my my number one is uh, Walk Like a Zombie by the Horror Pops. Yes! I love that. Oh my god, it's so good. It's like uh, I think that like that like psychobilly, like rockabilly thing is like I love that aesthetic. It's perfect Halloween music. And um, yeah, so definitely if you're like into that sort of um, whores and hot rods sort of thing, uh, Walk Like a Zombie by Horror Pops. 
definitely a favorite. You can go and you can like, you know, swing dance, wear your cute outfits. There's a lot of like stand-up bass. Um, and I love it. It's so cute. Okay, my first one I'm picking is Omen by Kim Petras. Oh, yes. Are there words to that one? Yes, Miss Kim. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's a great singer, but there are no words in this one. <laughs> well, yeah, that album that that's from, which I love, which is a great pop Halloween album. It's oh like God. every other song is an instrumental. I think she's she must like produce them. She's like, I yeah. produce and I also sing. Right. And so, yeah, we love it. I love it. And in this one, she does have some some vocals in there. like, But it has like this nice like synth throwback beat. Oh my God, I love it. And I put it like at the top of my playlist because I'm like, that would be, that's a nice little intro, right? Oh yeah, yeah that's a good one. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So my next pick is going to be um, a Rue Girl song, uh, probably one of my absolute favorites. It's uh, This Club is a Haunted House by Sharon Needles (laughs) featuring RuPaul. Um, I think it's so good. It's like a good sort of like fun clubby sounding song, but has that like kind of spooky, 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 and creepy. Like, uh, what is it called? What's that instrument called? A theremin kind of like spookiness sound to it but super good super fun Sharon Needle she's a spooky queen uh, that obsessed with love you know and I have to say that I'm very excited also this October for Shudder like we said sponsor us if you want to Um, the Boulay Brothers Dragula season 4 there is so much good watching coming out like this month so good so good okay so my next Halloween hit is definitely one that is on everyone's Halloween playlist, including yours. It's Thriller by Michael Jackson. <laughs> oh, of course. A classic. I mean, it's iconic. It's a classic. The video used to scare me. Love this. Oh, song. it scared the hell out of me, but I was so intrigued. I would watch it from behind the couch. I would like... Yes. I would be yes. Like, yeah, I was like so scared, but I had to watch it. And that's, that's probably where the birth of, you know, Fear the Talking Queers... Honestly, was, you know? honestly, I wouldn't put it. I, I probably remember this being like four, and it was October, and it came on the TV. And I remember yeah. my mom was in the shower, and I got so scared that I ran and I was banging on the shower door. I'm like, Mom! That's my memory of that video. So I love. Oh my god! I love. Yeah. It spe- holds a special place in my heart. Yes, absolutely. So um, one of my other favorite like Halloween artists that I always just rock during the the season is um miss rob zombie i love oh rob miss zombie. rob yes i i do have to say, i love rob zombie's vision now i do i think he's for a, sure. quite a visionary for sure so the song i picked by him is living dead girl oh. definitely my favorite well hello dolly so sexy it's like yes. if you're like if you're like doing spooky and also like getting belly dancing oh yeah <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh my yeah, god! Totally. And this is the opening song to Ch- Bride of Chucky. Yes. Which, oh my god! And I love the scene where like she just finished like, you know, stitching him together, and then she goes on the mm-hmm. floor and she looks at her work, and it's all. It's like that weird, like yeah, sort of like Middle Eastern middle section. They have like a guitar playing. Yeah. 
Okay, so my next one is um, going to be also coinciding with the fact that most of half of October is also um, Hispanic Heritage Month. <laughs> Go off, sis. Um, I. It's Brujas by Princess Nokia. Ooh, I don't yes. know this one. Okay, enlighten me. Y- you'll have to listen to it. It's a really good song. Um, she kind of gives like a, a a whole breakdown of like her heritage and like where she comes mm. from. And um, in the video, it's like Santeria mixed with hoodoo, mixed with literally the movie The Craft. And it's like, it, it's our wildest dreams come true. So. Oh my gosh, cute. Y'all have to check that out. Yeah, there, check so out there's the music a music video. video. Yes, check okay, it yeah. out because it's really cute. All right, so my next pick um, comes from probably my favorite scene in the entire American Horror Story franchise, which is the introduction of Lady Gaga's The Countess and Hotel. Um, So this is Tear You Apart by She Wants Revenge. And this is the song that accompanies that, uh, I would say kind of iconic uh, foursome scene that she has with Matt Bomer and two uh, unsuspecting uh, lovers that they find at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery that they bring back to their room and then they have sex with as well as kill them and drink their blood. And so like I blast this co- this song in my car just all of October and I just <laughs> feel so sexy and like powerful yes. just like she is and she's like and they're like seducing those people in the cemetery like Ugh. her and Matt Bomer are so hot in that scene and uh, yeah I just think it's so fire and he's like i want to <laughs> fucking tear you apart like I, I just love the vocals Ooh, yes you love the sexy halloween song yeah i do sexy halloween yes okay my next one you know i love my rap and hip-hop my next one is you <laughs> me i know i <laughs> my next one is freak by tyga and miss megan the stallion who's a oh my staple God, okay. here at Fear the talking <laughs> That's <laughs> yes, Megan. So this one is um, samples I Need a Freak by Sexual Harassment. So it kind of has that like Egyptian sort of like mysterious like, you know, uh, sample in there. But the music video, um, they're vampires. So it plays <gasps> even more into like this whole sp- spooky aesthetic like the the spooky little instrumental this but obviously they're talking about being um freaky and sexy so oh see so i'm not the only one who likes sexy yes. halloween yes but with vampires oh yes <laughs> <laughs> all right so uh my next pick is uh the theme song to one of our favorite camp classics killer clowns by the dickies yeah. yes oh uh, so good Yes, oh, it's so, so good. good. It's such a fun song. Um, has that like kind of, like a mix of like that circusy with a little bit of like eighties rock. Yes. Um, and the vocals Beautiful. are actually really good. Whoever the singer of the Dickies is, he he can sing. So um, yeah. yeah, I love Killer Clowns. I play the song too. Everybody thinks of something from the Killer Clowns. <laughs> Whatever that. Is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes. so good. Yeah, oh, I just so went to good. Spirit Halloween and got myself a Killer Clowns t-shirt. Oh, I'm jealous. I want to go. I want to yes. go. I'm going to go. And then I got a Candyman t-shirt and I got a Crow t-shirt. Literally all of our episodes recently. All oh of our season God. three episodes. On a shirt. Um, my Love next it. one is 
Halloweeny by Ash Nico. Ooh, we love I, this. I, we, I love this song. I, and, and she has multiple. There, are, It's a trilogy. She has Halloweeny, yeah. then she has Halloweeny 2, Pumpkin Spice. That's then, my favorite one. I sing <laughs> I, that all I the love time. that one. Pumpkin Spice, this pussy baby, happy Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then she has one Halloween 3, 7 Days. That one's kind of like not as... Yeah. I don't like that one as much as the first two, but you know, go off this. And yeah. then, um, but the Halloween, my favorite lyric from there is, um, she'll never eat the butt like me, only tricks for your ass, it's Halloween. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Come on, Ash Nico. Yes. So, um, one of my uh, favorite artists of all time, they show up a lot on our, um, on our soundtrack Sundays is, uh, the Pretty Reckless, which is Miss uh, Taylor Momsen's band. And yes. so uh, this is one of their newer songs from their new album that just came out this year. And the song is called Witches Burn. Burn the witch! And it's so good, so cool. And it has a sort of like a feminist message to it. And, um, you know, I love a, a, a fierce rock bitch. So um, check out Witches Burn by The Pretty Reckless. I love the title. Yeah, and you'll probably hear it uh, many, many, many times on our story coming up this month. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I'm sure. Anytime a witch shows up, I'm all witches burn. Witches burn by the Pretty Reckless. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've seen her yeah, before. Yeah, who knew Miss Cindy Lou Who could uh, turn into <laughs> such a rock bitch? We yeah. love her. Yes, bitch. Dahu do rock the house. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I want to <laughs> Oh my god, I can't even believe that came out of me. Okay. So my next one is Mind Playing Tricks on Me by Ghetto Boys. Okay, this is a classic 90s hip hop song. Um, but essentially what they're talking about is life on the streets, like like how rough it is, but then the imagery that they're serving you in their lyrics is like horror movie status like Mm. they talk about being on Halloween trick or treating they talk about like the spirits coming to get them so like this is a really creepy song when you actually like read and listen to the lyrics Um, but it has that 90s hip hop feel which I love and live for you do so yes yes, so Mind Playing Tricks on Me by Ghetto Boys work 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 all right, so I picked another Psycho Billy song by the Necromantics called Trick or Treat. Uh, but yes. Necromantics are like a classic, like, rockabilly group or Psycho Billy group. Um, and Trick or Treat is just one of the many horror movie inspired offerings that they have. So check out Trick or Treat by the Necromantics. So my next one is Somebody's Watching Me by Chico Rose and 71 Digits. So I think that this includes the original lyrics of... The Rockwell version. The Rockwell version, yeah. I always feel like somebody's watching me. But this is like an updated Which is Michael. version. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, true. That's Michael Jackson. But, you know, Somebody's Watching Me by Chico Rose. They updated the beat. They've given it this like clubby vibe and... I love to clean the house to this song. I love to surf face with this song. So, yes, I'm loving this version. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Well, my next pick is classic Halloween staple, The Time Warp from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um, my One of my favorite musicals of all time. Um, can't wait to talk about it later this month. Yes. Um, but just this song just gets me in the Halloween mood. And honestly, I feel like if it's not playing in spirit when I walk into that store, I'm walking out. You know what was playing in the store when I went in? What? 
Little shop, little shop of horrors. Yes, I was like, this yes. is perfect. I'm in heaven. Um, yeah. So <laughs> my next one is A Nightmare on My Street by DJ Jazzy Jeff and Boom. The Fresh Prince. Yeah. Yes, I love this song. Obviously, it's a huge tribute to the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. And they have a little Freddy voice on there. And it's Will Smith as his rapping charming self, charming self, the Fresh Prince. So I love that they take the the theme song to Nightmare on Elm Street and then they just make it like hip hop. That is cute. All right. And uh, so my next pick is I Put a Spell on You by Credence Clearwater Revival. Um, One of the many, many versions of this song that are out there. But this one is definitely one of my favorites. It always makes me think of that scene in Elvira when all the old people get um, (laughs) (laughs) hypnotized by the casserole that she makes. And they get all horny horny and they start like doing it with each other in front of the gazebo in the park. (laughs) Is this seat taken? It's his face. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking the part when he puts the the hot dog in the taco and then takes a bite out of it. (laughs) Yes. I love that. I love that the um, casserole itself looks like this really delicious bean dip. (laughs) (laughs) It looks like cock-a-doo-doo. Okay, so my next one is um, a classic. Um, freaks come out at night by Houdini. The freaks come out at night. Ooh, the, the freaks, freaks come, come out, out at night. night. The freaks come out at night. Okay, <laughs> this song always reminds me of the Scooby Doo. Scooby Doo. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, and then, uh, so for my final pick, uh, I just had to go with the most classic Halloween song, probably of all time, which is The Monster Mash. Oh, yes. <laughs> I love this song. I don't care. It gets me in the mood. I'm on the does a mash. She did the monster mash. The monster I'm all, mash. <laughs> I'm all doing the twist and the mashed potato. I'm doing yes. it all to the master and mash. And what is this called? The hand jive. Uh, the ha- oh, the hand job. That <laughs> looked like you were giving a hand job, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, the hand jive, yeah. <laughs> and like the little creepy sound effects, the chains rattling in the background. Yeah, and like the like the 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 mad, mad scientist, scientist like bubbles. bubbles. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. I love this. Okay. So my last song is the Halloween theme. Okay, so this is not just the regular Halloween theme. This title is called Halloween Theme Rework and it's by the Perturbator. 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 We've actually used it on a post last Halloween. I think you can catch a sample of it on our Halloween post from last year where we put all the final girls from all the Halloween movies in oh, one yeah. post. Yeah, so it's this really great rendition of like not just the Halloween theme song, but like different songs on the original Halloween soundtrack, but just with this like synth techno house kind of beat. Uh, but it's not corny. You know how those sometimes those can get a little corny, like yeah. DDR. Remember DDR? Oh my god, <laughs> I used to love this version of the Phantom of the Opera that sounded like that. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. So this one's great. I would check it out definitely. I found it on YouTube originally, but it's on Spotify as well. Ooh, yes. Well, speaking of Spotify, um, we have decided to post this playlist for you guys to hear. So look out on our Instagram and uh, we'll be posting this playlist probably along with um, even more Halloween songs. Yes. 
And this playlist is going to be called FTTQ, as in Fear the Talking Queers. Does the word duh mean anything to you? Halloween hits. Yes, yes. So tune in. Let us know what you think of the playlist. Tell us if you're out there shaking your ass, trick-or-treating, or whatever to it, because uh, we'd love to hear. Yeah, send us a video of you driving down the road to it, swinging your oh hair my God. around. Oh my God, yeah. please do. Please, please. If somebody does that, we'll do something special for you. Yes. Oh my God. Uh, yes, we will. The first totally. person to send us a video of you driving down the street blasting our playlist, we're, you're going we'll to get a treat. You. You're going to get yeah. a treat. Trick or yes. treat, bitch! No. Yes. <laughs> okay, so speaking of that, it's time to get to our movie. Okay, Ooh. so if you follow us on Instagram, you'll know that we put up two movies for every week in October. We have five weeks, you guys, and we had you choose four of our movies. So the first category that we chose was Demonic Possession. We had The Exorcist versus The Exorcism of Emily Rose. <laughs> Surprise, what one? <laughs> yeah, The Exorcist, of course, a classic. Uh, yeah. But before we get into the movie, we're going to spin our trick wheel. Our trick wheel is... Things that we have to do as we continue the episode moving forward. <laughs> oh so God, I hope we don't are, forget. <laughs> there are different things on here. Let's spin the wheel and see what trick we're going to be doing throughout our Exorcist episode. Oh my God, I'm nervous. Okay. Oh my God. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> our trick for the Exorcist is... We have to smoke from our weed pens <laughs> every time we say the word exorcism. Oh, bitch. <laughs> we are going to be we're going to be so high. Okay. Oh my god. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Just let you <laughs> This is going to be uh you want I I have faith in us that we're going to be able to pull it together, but just let you know that by the end of this episode, who knows what could happen. What are you going to be puffing on? All right. So I have a select uh, live resin pen here. Uh, this is super sour diesel. This is live resin. So this is going to be more potent than your like average everyday THC distillate pen. So okay. which, so who knows what's about to happen. Is it indica, sativa, hybrid? Uh, it's, a, uh, it's a hybrid. So okay. I'll be getting a little... I, it won't be like giving me all the anxieties, but also won't be putting me to sleep. So. <laughs> Perfect. Boom. Perfect. Uh, I have my raw garden pen. And Cute. if you've continued listening to the podcast throughout all of our episodes, you'll know I am puffing on Island Girl. Oh my and God. I can't <laughs> believe you haven't finished that yet. <laughs> I haven't finished it. I'm almost to the end. Like, I'll, by the time we're done with this episode, it will be gone. Um, oh my God. Probably. <laughs> it's It too is a live resin um, hybrid. So, yes. Yes. Uh, all right. Cheers. Cheers. Clink. Okay. So, exorcism. That's our keyword. Okay. So, we're talking about The Exorcist today. The oh, my 70s gosh. The classic. Blast from the past. Considered, like, the scariest movie ever made by a lot. Like, at least that's what the, the poster says. <laughs> yeah. That's what all the marketing says. To this day, like, this was the scariest movie ever made. And there right. was a lot of hype around this movie. There's a lot of mystique. Um, oh, for sure. You know, it's one of those cursed movies along with Poltergeist and Twilight Oh my Zone. God. Yeah. Everything that you like, 
any movie that has like some sort of demonic possession in it is like always like oh my god you if you watch it you're letting the spirits in and whatever i know like growing up i was for sure not allowed to ever watch this movie movie. i was in yeah because my mom was like nope we don't do demon movies no you know it sort of coincides to what happens in the movie it's like you you know you kind of fuck around you play you watch the movie you play with a ouija board you're you're uh, sort of yeah boom possessed it was the same story for me like i was not allowed to watch this movie and it was because there's a special story to this my great grandma went to the movie theaters to watch The Exorcist because it was all the buzz right in the 70s and she went to go see it and she threw up during the movie so she was one of those audience members who was like really affected by the sight of this movie yeah seriously like this movie had people like like having like fainting screaming breaking their jaws Breaking their jaws, <laughs> vomiting, dying. Yeah. I don't know if anybody ever died watching this, but I mean, maybe it's not dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they might as well have. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but so she told my grandma, never watch this movie, promise me. And that went on for generations. And I just broke that by watching The Exorcist for the first time for our podcast. Wow. Is that why that uh, crucifix on your wall is now upside down behind you? <laughs> <laughs> So we should get to this. The mystique of this movie will definitely unfold as we go on. All right. So get your crosses, your holy water ready, because we are diving into The Exorcist. Here we go. Mm. What an excellent day for an exorcism. The Exorcist, released in 1973, directed by William Friedkin, written by William Peter Blatty, based on his novel of the same name. Our movie begins in Iraq, where an elderly priest, Father Lancaster Marin, played by Max von Sydow, is on an archaeological dig. Marin has a sense of foreboding and begins feeling ill when he encounters a number of strange omens, including the unearthing of an ancient figurine of a demon and a St. Joseph medal belonging to a different time period than the objects being dug up. He also has a near miss with a runaway horse-drawn carriage and notices a clock that stops ticking in mid-stroke. Marin later discovers a bizarre demonic statue. Although the film does not mention it, the novel describes this as a representation of a demonic figure known as Pazuzu. (laughs) Pazuzu. Pazuzu. Oh my god. Pazuki from BJ's. Oh my god, I I love Pazookas or BJs. Back in the U.S. in Washington, D.C.'s upscale Georgetown neighborhood, a successful actress named Chris McNeil, played by Ellen Burstein, stays in a rental home while she's on location filming a movie. Chris lives with her 12-year-old, fun-loving daughter, Reagan, played by Linda Blair, her personal assistant, Sharon, played by Kitty Wynn, and two housekeepers, Willie and Carl. Reagan's father is estranged for reasons unknown, At home, Chris begins hearing what sounds like rats scratching in the walls. While Chris is on the movie set with director Burke Dennings, played by Jack McGowan, she notices a young Catholic priest watching her, Father Damien Karras, played by Jason Miller. Father Karras has a background in psychology and counsels parishioners at a nearby church. Karras has been discussing his vocation with a superior, asking to be transferred because he feels he is losing his faith. One day, Karis visits his elderly mother, played by Vasiliki Malieris, 
who lives alone in a slummy New York apartment. He feels guilty that she has to live alone and suggests she move into a care home, but she stubbornly refuses. Back at the McNeil house, Chris makes plans with Reagan for her birthday. Reagan tells her mother she can invite Burke Dennings, suggesting that Chris and Burke may be romantically interested in one another. Chris also catches up with Reagan and sees she has been making clay sculptures and playing with a Ouija board where she's been contacting an imaginary friend named Captain Howdy. Okay, so first off, William Peter Blatty, he's the writer of this movie, and he also wrote the novel The Exorcist um, back in 1971. Um, He was inspired to write this because there was a real-life exorcism that happened in 1949 or something, uh, the exorcism of Roland Doe, which is not his real name. Um, (laughs) But essentially, the story is that this boy had an exorcism that lasted for months and he um the devil appeared in his leg and then the voice of saint michael the archangel came out of him damning the demon back to hell um and then there were rats scratching in the walls like you know that's what it sounded like and also they think this all came about because his aunt roland doe's aunt she introduced him to the Ouija board, and shortly afterward, mm-hmm. she died, and the boy came became possessed, allegedly. So this yeah. is all stemming from that real-life story. That's crazy, yeah. Like, that's the exact reason why I was not allowed to play with the Ouija board or watch movies like this, because you pull back that curtain between us and the, and the spirit world or the demonic world, and, um, you know, yeah. and it's not going to turn out good for you, but... Poor yeah, Roland Doe. Or like this like war between like heaven and hell and angels and devils like going on in this random child. Like what the hell? <laughs> Let me tell you right away, that is a real fear of mine. This <laughs> is like being possessed by a demon um, or being overcome by something so, you know, traumatic that it feels like you're possessed by a devil. Um, as, you know, the movie suggests. Um, So, like, something like a demonic possession movie is really scary to me. And obviously, The Exorcist, I was like, I'm going to watch this movie. I'm going to leave feeling scared. I honestly feel that this movie needs to have its title taken away as the scariest movie of all time. (laughs) I think it's the loudest movie of all time. I think it's the the nastiest movie of all time. But I don't think it's the scariest. Okay, but, like, you have to think of it, like, in the 70s. From the 70s. 70s. Oh, yeah, I mean, like, would you consider sure. Carrie the scariest, like, a scary movie no, now? No, this but would definitely did. be would you up co- there. Would you consider Psycho, like, a scary okay. movie? No, but I, what I would say, something in the same vein as The Exorcist, that I would think, that I would consider scarier than this movie, just because of the thought and the presentation, is The Omen. Oh, you think The Omen's scarier? I think The Omen is scarier than The Exorcist. I think okay. just the idea and the politics behind it and the you know, real life sort of situations they throw in there sure. seem more global or international, like it could be anybody. And so mm-hmm. I think that that's scarier than this. And I honestly think that The Exorcism of Emily Rose is also scarier than this. Oh my, you're done. All right, thank you, sweet screams, everybody. Bye. <laughs> oh, I said exorcism. That movie was even scary when I saw it as a teenager. I hated it. I said exorcism. And now I've said it three times. <laughs> oh shit, puff, puff, puff. Okay, three, ready? I'm ready. Mm-hmm. Two. This is gonna be bad. Three. Okay. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> oh god. Okay. 
No, um, you have to do it too. It's anytime. When you say it's it, not I just have to do it? no. Yes, it's both of us. We are fear the shock. No, 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 no. Yes, no, we are no. one and the same. That was the deal. Smoke every Bullshit. time the word you, exorcism you is said. You, what? That oh is. Oh my god. Yes. It is. How does that even make sense? This should be. This is your consequence. No, we have to. We have to do it every time because then it's not fair because it's in the synopsis and then you're reading the synopsis in that part so you have to take all those hits. See what I mean? Oh my god, <laughs> fine. Okay. You better not fucking say that word anymore. <laughs> you're no. dead. If you want to get through this episode, if you want me to get through this episode. So the opening of this movie takes place in Iraq um, where they're doing this archaeological dig. Honestly, I don't know what this has to do with anything. Right. I think this, I watched like two documentaries about this and like they go into detail about how important this opening scene is. Like oh. ev- everything down to like the subtleties of it. Like I, I watched one on YouTube that was definitely more um, fan theory or, or oh, like fan theory. Okay. Like that was like, you know, dissected through the years. Like people have um, come up with their own theories about it. And there were some really interesting things as far as like everything the background the subtleties down to like the colors of what people are wearing and who's bowing to who and you know there's a lot that goes on to it and then i watched on shutter there's a whole documentary where william friedkin just talks about the movie and he spends a good like 20 minutes just on this opening alone talking about how he knows of like all these theories he's like but when i did it none of that was intent like those theories weren't necessarily thought out he's like but you know it's sort of like that's what art is art is like this you know it's open to your interpretation how you can what you can find and he does claim that a lot of what he did during this movie or like what came about during this movie is that he honestly feels like it was like god-given like things happened like not necessarily because he intended them to but because it was the will of a higher being that like brought these things to him in order to create this film oh interesting yeah, so there's like a, lo- a lot of interesting things in here. And there's actually yeah. a really good video called Extraditing the Exorcist, which he just goes into oh. full detail, 45 minutes, just about this opening scene alone, about how important it is. So check it out. I mean, I don't oh. have all the details about what he said, but it's really interesting. So a lot of people do claim that this opening is really important. And, um, you know, and it establishes who our main antagonist is, who is this demon named Pazuzu, who is actually a real figure in mythology. Right, like the devil or the god of wind or something? Yeah, so he's the personification of the southwest wind. And um, he's supposed to be the king of the demons of the wind. Maybe part of the mythology is that he brings upon sickness and disease, which is something that we do see happen to Reagan. Like, she definitely looks as if somebody who's fully diseased. (laughs) But then there's also, like, you know, contradicting evidence about that, that maybe it's his wife who brings the disease. I don't know. And that um, how the creature looks, it's like a hybrid of, like, different animal parts, which is what we see in that statue. Sort of like this, like, dog head with, like, wings and, like, a snake penis. And um, one of the most important things about Pazuzu was that his face was apparently so terrifying that it would scare away, like, lesser demons. So there's, like, a line in this opening sequence where Marin is talking to this, um, to that uh, curator, right? And he says something. He says, evil against evil. And you're like, 
what the hell does that mean? One of the explanations was that because Pazuzu's face was so terrifying, that it would scare away other demons, so thus it was like evil against evil. Well, I was thinking that this um, whole opening probably has more significance in the book. Um, and like even saying like, It's you know, shorter. It, it, oh, it's shorter. See, this is really strange yeah, to me. Yeah, they say then. it's only like... like I, they said it's only like they said it's only like four pages long. I'm telling you, watch these things and like they okay. explain it in great detail, like all these different theories. But just William Friedkin himself talks about like um, a lot of grace notes in there, like um, maybe not necessarily things that are like gonna change the storyline, but there are a lot of like really symbolic things that like kind of happen in the background. Um, oh. So that's the thing about these older movies, especially these like classics. There's so much that people have, you know, figured Developed. out, have theorized. You can watch like hours and hours and hours and hours of this shit on YouTube. So even when William Friedkin brought this movie to the initial composer that he wanted to compose this film, it was like a, a hero of his was like, uh, you need to cut out that beginning because it has nothing to do with anything. And then that's when he was like, well you don't get to make my movie or you don't get to score my movie. So he got rid of two different people who were scoring the film because he just like, was it's not right. And then he just happened to come across a record that said uh, tubular bells on it. And it was like handwritten on there, nothing like official. And he put it on. And that is what we know as like the theme song. The doom, 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 doom. Like, and that's just from yeah. this random record that he found. And he, again, he attributes these things to like, I think this was like God's will that I was supposed to have these things that it fell into place so perfectly. I will say that one of the first things that I noticed as soon as this statue of Pazuzu rises up from, you know, the ground, that yeah. um, this sound design is was a little off-putting for me. Sure. Um, it, it is it's very loud. so loud and it, it makes it inaudible like I'm watching it and it's obviously an older movie so it's just like I didn't watch any restored versions it was just like blaring my speakers out so I had to turn it down (laughs) and then I can't hear what they're saying so I have to turn it back up and then I have to turn it back down because the music gets too loud and the x-ray machines and I don't know the the sound the mixing and the design and the editing of the sound was is atrocious and it kind of made it hard to watch like there were a lot of moments where i didn't realize what was happening because i'm just like squinting my eyes over how loud it sounds (laughs) dramatic but i was like this is so fucking loud i can't even Um. (laughs) oh my gosh i don't know if you've heard there's something called a volume button (laughs) bitch but i had to turn up and down the volume throughout the entire movie and i was like i'm annoyed shit Anyway, so then we get to America with um, Ellen Burstein and Linda Ray, not Linda Reagan, Linda Blair. Linda Reagan. Um, <laughs> Linda Reagan. <laughs> I think that they play their parts very well. They're very natural. They have great chemistry as mother and daughter. At first I was like, why does Miss Ellen Burstein's character, Chris, I was like, why does she have like a like a, a maid or an assistant. I was like, what, what does she do? I was like, she's not that rich. And then I come to, you come to find out that she's like a famous like, actress. <laughs> like, oh yeah. I was like, okay, this is a rental house. I'm like, this house is ugly. <laughs> <laughs> they have the scene of her, like, you know, playing this teacher and, um, you know, yeah. Miss Chris is a, she's a great actress. You know, she yeah. gets paid the big bucks for a reason. Speaking of actresses, Linda Blair beat out 500 actresses to win the part of 
Miss Little Regan McNeil. And she's really good in this. Like, I will say that she's very fucking charming. This whole opening where we first meet her and she's like, hey, mom, look at this clay sculpture I made and look at these drawings yeah. I made. And you're like, she's oh, like, my gosh, she's oh, like a full-on horse, horse girl. Oh, and I saw we were at the park. And, oh, my gosh. It was just fantastic. Pure. She is Innocent. a pure soul. She's right. innocent and like so like Little the contrast girl. of what happens to her later is just so so horrendous. Like mm-hmm. it's it like really brings up a lot of feelings when you watch it. You're like, oh my god, this little pure child. And she was oh so god. nice and she just loved her fucking horses and Especially um, what she does later. You're like, oh my god, what the fuck? Um, literally. Literally. I love that the, this fun fact about the role of Reagan McNeil that Jamie Lee Curtis was asked to audition for the part, but Janet Lee was like, no, no, thank you. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Which no. I wouldn't say, like, either. I mean, both had incredible success, obviously. And so, I mean, you yeah, know, whether so. that was like a, I don't think it was a good or a bad decision because obviously Jamie Lee went on to have much success in other horror franchises and, you know, <laughs> this movie was obviously a big success. So everybody won yeah. at the end of the day. I am confused because I didn't know priests were allowed to smoke hella cigarettes and <laughs> drink hella alcohol. I'm like, what the hell? These priests are uh, wild. Yeah. Yeah. Karis is like, oh, obviously he's like, He's losing his faith, but you know, and so he has vices. Like, don't don't priests have vices? Isn't that part? I don't see. I'm not Catholic. You would know this shit better than I. I, I saw a priest drinking a wine cooler at a barbecue one time, and I was like, "Mom, are they allowed to drink?" Yeah, there's like something about like vices. Like, oh, I have a vice, and then I, then they just confess it away. I don't know. I don't know how it works. <laughs> then then they put, bring out their weed pen like. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So he's sort of. A, questioning things yeah he has many vices not only does he smoke he also gambles he's uh yeah he drinks heavily he's going he's going through it he he doesn't feel like he's connecting with this job this you know this calling anymore that he has um and he and he even goes to like be like look like i need to get out of here and they're like just hold on like he's like no i just want to drink and smoke okay i just want to drink smoke and fuck no uh so <laughs> you, I, I will say just to relate this to the the legacy of the exorcist in some way because i know that we we gave a little shout out to the exorcist tv show this week on our on our instagram oh yeah um <laughs> the priest um in the Exorcist TV show is also like this, but I think he is in love with a woman and like they have sex and stuff, and so like that Ew. is a, that's a huge no no for is a no no. Yeah, you can smoke oh, and drink no. and do all this shit, but you, you definitely can't be fucking. Yeah. Oh, and then he has this like mom, and she's like old, and she loves him, but also he's like, mom, I can't really take care of you. And like, she's like, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> in Greek, literally, yeah, in um, Greek. Yeah. Well, so into the mystique of this movie, nine people passed away during the film's pre-production, during production, and post-production. Um, and Miss Vasiliki Malieris, who plays um, Father Karis's mother, was one of those unfortunate losses. Aww. She passed Her? away. 
after the movie. I know. And, you know, it, it, they add it to, like, the movie is cursed. Nine people died while filming the movie. So she died after filming the movie. Um, and she passed away from natural causes. Sad loss, but RIP, Miss Malieris. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, so that's a little bit about Karis. Um, going back to Chris and Reagan. So now we get to the scene that sets it all off, right? Yes. Reagan's like, oh, by the way, I have. Oh, no, I don't even think she brings it out. I think the mom brings it. I think Chris brings it out. She's like, what's this? A Ouija board? She's like, have you been playing with this? And she's all, yeah. And she's like, okay, let's play it. <laughs> See? Yeah, they know. And, and Pazuzu won't have it, or Captain Howdy, as he's come to we learned his yeah. name is Captain Howdy um, not Captain Howdy <laughs> not Captain Howdy not even mentioning Pazuzu just giving all the credit to some Captain Howdy character yeah uh, but there are I know there are some speculations about this one too is that she picks the name Captain Howdy because it relates to the name of her father and obviously mm. like Chris McNeil and Mr. McNeil I'm assuming are going through this like you know kind of nasty separation I guess and he yeah. has nothing to do with Reagan and so on and so forth and so this loss of her father allegedly his name is Howard I don't know where they found that mm. out but so the, her saying Captain Howdy alludes to her possibly not being possessed by the devil but instead being I don't know acting out from trauma which we kind of will talk about later as it comes out oh interesting yeah because there's yeah there's a lot of like different ways you can interpret the themes of this film you know um, obviously like the effects of separation on a child or a child's personality changes as they go through puberty I don't know there's a lot of different ways to sort of look at that but that's an interesting one I didn't I didn't know that one their performances really shine because they do serve a lot of chemistry with each other they do they have a strong mother-daughter love yeah I'm believing that this is happening and I know that William Peter Blatty wanted uh, William Friedkin to direct this film because he was a documentary filmmaker and he wanted it to feel very real and it really does even the whole beginning he's like I I'm not a multiple take kind of director. He's like, I'm a one take director because that is real life. That it, you know, and he's like, the there mistakes. are other, there are yeah. other very, very famous directors out there who are known to do 90 takes. It's like Stanley Kubrick, 90 <laughs> to hundred takes, you know, he's like me. He's like, I like to get the one take and he would direct his, um, his director of photography, like his cameraman to, uh, you know, film scenes. And he'd be like, do not cut. Like, don't cut the scene, no matter what. But I want you to find the shot. Because this guy who um, was filming the movie uh, also filmed, like, live documentary footage of Fidel Castro. So, like, uh, they would be filming a scene, and then he would cut. And he'd be like, why did you cut? And he was like, well, you know, so-and-so was blocking so-and-so. He's like, did you say that when you were filming Fidel Castro? Like, oh, sorry, guys, we have to do it again. Uh, Mr. You know, Mr. Fidel Castro, yes. you're in the way. He's like, no, you just catch it. You find the scene. And so, yeah, a lot of that documentary filmmaking style is for sure implicated into this just because that's William Friedkin's background. That's yeah. what he was good at. So, um, yeah, good observation there for sure. I, I do think that he directed this very well. I will say that. This is a very well-directed yeah. film. Yeah. This is why he won the Oscar. Yes. Oh, we, wait, let's acknowledge that before we move on, that this was the very first movie to be nominated for a Best Picture Oscar, a horror movie, first horror movie. And it's only now one of, what, nine, seven, nine? Very few. Let's put them on the map. Represent. 
On Reagan's birthday, Chris is outraged that Reagan hasn't heard from her father and furiously tries to get a hold of him. That night, Chris finds Reagan sleeping in her bed. Reagan says she slept there because her own bed was shaking. Chris continues hearing the loud noises in the attic and decides to investigate, using a candlestick for light. She doesn't find anything but is startled when the flame of the candle suddenly flares up before blowing out. Later at the Catholic Church, a priest delivers fresh flowers to the altar and is shocked to find the statue of the Virgin Mary defiled with weird cone-shaped clay sculptures on the statue made to look like breasts and a penis. Chris takes Reagan to the doctor for a routine checkup where she acts out and begins to exhibit strange behavior and uncharacteristic qualities like crudely swearing. Her doctor, Dr. Klein, played by Barton Heyman, suggests that these behavioral changes are a sign of hyperactive disorder and could stem from depression or anxiety over her parents' divorce. The doctor prescribes Ritalin. Meanwhile, Karis' mother has an injury that lands her in a mental facility since her family has no other means to put her anywhere else. When Karis goes to visit her, she yells at him in disappointment, not wanting to even look at him. Back at the McNeil house, Chris hosts an elaborate party with a number of affluent guests. One of her guests is another priest named Father Dyer, played by Reverend William O'Malley, who speaks to a prominent astronaut about his next journey into space. Chris asks Father Dyer about Karis, having noticed him around town. Father Dyer also informs her that Karis' mother is now dead. Karis has been drinking and having nightmares as a result of the sorrow and guilt he feels from his mother's passing. Burke Dennings gets drunk and antagonizes Carl before getting to a physical altercation with him. Chris breaks up the fight and escorts Burke out of the house. Chris rejoins the party and she and the rest of the partygoers sing around the piano. Reagan appears in a nightgown and stoically tells the astronaut, you're gonna die up there. She then urinates on the carpet in front of everyone. After the guests leave, Chris bathes Reagan and puts her to bed. Chris is then startled by a loud sound from Reagan's bedroom. She rushes back into the room and finds Reagan screaming as her bed shakes violently, levitating off the ground. Ooh, all right. So this section kind of starts with, you know, with uh, Damien Karras. He's just uh, he's just a priest on the edge, you know. He's lost his faith. He's at a crossroads. And, um, yeah, he's just uh, not doing great. And, uh, no, you know his backstory um, does seem a little long. Um, sure, but then it's like rushed. Then we're like, we hear about his mother's passing, literally in passing. Like it's like, oh, his mom yeah. died, and they found her days later. It's like, oh, okay, great. After we were introduced to her and all this stuff, it's kind of yeah, like just we like definitely a, have like a like a a jump in time where often it's like, oh yeah. yeah. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't like change linearly, and that was a that was a choice that no, he made because yeah. I, I guess uh, when Blatty wrote the first draft of the script, there was a lot of like flashbacks all the shit. And he was like, no, 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 we're not doing flashbacks. <laughs> Where he's like, we need to keep this movie chugging along. Like I wanted to, you know, full steam ahead. No. The editing jumps back and forth, but the story keeps jumping from one time frame to another. And you're like, wait. Sure, you're like, we're like, we're like, we're like split between these two characters that don't really know each other yet, but we're like, sort of giving equal time to both. But we're, we're like, how are they, how are they going to be connected? Obviously, we can probably put the two together, but at this point, we're like, why are these, why are we getting these two separate stories going on? Yeah, and we get this shocking image um, of the Virgin Mary statue, and it's, 
defiled. There are these cone sculptures. Oh my god! In the shape of breasts. Big ass dick. Oh my god! It's horrific. Um, but it kind of gives us a. Uh, an omen, if you will, of what's to come. Like, Pazuzu yeah. is a nasty fucking freak. That, he's a nasty ass bitch. He loves foul ass humor. Or, like, not humor, but, I don't know, what's the word? I don't know, he uses freak-a-leak shit to, like, convey <laughs> its evil message. <laughs> yeah, literally. He's, like, a nasty ass bitch, so I don't know who, I don't know if this, like, moment has anything to do with Pazuzu specifically, but um, it definitely is in line with maybe his influence just being around. And well, you know, okay, I didn't know what this was. I was like, wait, what the hell? And why does that happen? Who's evil running around doing this stuff? But they, I not until I read this synopsis where it said that it's implied that Reagan did it. That somehow, oh, some way, really? this little thing sneaked out with her arts and crafts and put this together because uh. that's why this scene with her showing her mom the little animal clay sculpture she's made and this and that that's why that's important is because it then Im- implicates Reagan as being the person who put these cones on Miss Miss Madonna oh my god wow I had no idea is it a theory or is it a is it a I, fact no I think it's implicated I think it's like in the novel that she's oh, okay, okay, the okay. one who did it or something I don't know but it, it's supposed to be Reagan wow. has done this to the statue Oh my god, poor little Reagan. She's she didn't mean for all this to happen to her. It's already so sad. This also, this routine checkup that she goes in for, I don't think was in the original cut because I watched both. So I watched it's this not, twice now. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely it's not. Um, but it is kind of funny that she just sort of starts off being just like a little brat. <laughs> yeah. She's like, Tell me tell me what you feel. I don't feel anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the doctors are like, what the fuck? So, okay. This is where we get a very interesting concept that is also in um, Emily Rose. Were they possessed by demons or do they have some sort of disorder that's stemming from this trauma or this life change? Right. And in this of movie, it, they're thinking that her parents' divorce is causing this traumatic event in her life that's triggering... Uh, these hyperactive disorders coming from depression and anxiety. I don't know if this is just me, but I feel like every time I hear a doctor speak in a movie that's like, I don't know, like pre-90s, I think like, they don't know what they're talking about. Like, we've come so far. We've come such a long way in medical, like, science. Like, half of what they say is either like, debunked, or it's like offensive, or like, barbaric. But in this one, he prescribes Ritalin, which is still the cure. That's true. <laughs> the treatment. That's, that's true. For, but in my mind, I'm like, they don't know what they're talking about. But that's probably not true. I mean... And I will say that I was not expecting them to be so medical and psychological with the explanations medically um, about right. what Reagan is going through. So I was really... I was like... I, too, was like undermining the intelligence of doctors in the 70s. Because yeah. I was like, wow, they went deep with this. I think there's a realism in that, though, because, you know why would anybody just straight away jump to demonic possession you know in a real world situation yeah you're gonna seek medical help 
their job is to find a rational scientific explanation for what's happening. And I do think right. that's a really good theme in this movie that it's like this um, one, like this debate between science and, and religion or, you know, some sort of supernatural. Mm. And that's a really tough thing that Chris goes through throughout this movie. Like, what do I believe? Like, is, do I have faith in the fact that, you know, this can be explained with religion and demons and a certain thing that you do to release a demon into the, you know, to get it out of your body. I'm not going to say the word. Oh. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm going to say it. Exorcism. Take a hit. Ah, take a hit. <laughs> oh my God. My hits are bigger than I'm expecting. Oof. Oh shit. Yeah. So it's like, how much would you have to go through? And she really does just go through it. Like in this oh movie. yeah, she's a fucking mess. But oh my gosh, one of my favorite, <laughs> my, uh, when she's first learning about like Reagan's, um, you know, outbursts with the doctors. <laughs> one of oh, she laughs. Like, yes, I think that is actually <laughs> such a brilliant choice because that is for sure something that I would do. If somebody was like, and he's like, and uh, something says something about her cunt. And then, she, and then Ellen Burstyn's like reaction is to just laugh into her hand because it's so outlandish for her to think that her child would say this. She's like, "There's no way you're, you're, you have to be kidding me." She like literally laughs, and I'm like, "That is a brilliant choice. Good on you, yeah. Miss Ellen Burstyn, because that was brilliant." So we get to this party scene, and we learn that Father Karras's mother has died, and I think this is oh, where yeah. the curse comes into play about the actress who died. Is that they say that the two actors who died after the filming of this movie were um, Vasiliki Maliaris and then the other one was um, oh and then the actor who plays Burke Dennings Jack Jack McGowan oh yeah he too died shortly after the filming of this movie and they are two of the people two of the three people who die in the movie so I think that's where this this idea that this film was cursed comes into play so cursed but this party is lit though sorry it's lit it's lit i would want to go to this they're drunk and and miss reverend dyer she's a queen she's my ideal time in heaven would be to be headlining and everybody singing along with me and everybody loving me i was like yes queen you better oh my god the way he delivers that line is so flamboyant i was like this is a queen if i've ever seen one and he this was a Father Dyer played by Reverend William O'Malley during the time of this filming was an actual Catholic priest. Yeah. And this is the first yeah, time he wasn't in an film, actor. Probably the only time in film where an actual priest is playing a priest. Good for yeah. him. She said, I'm going to let my my inner queen out, my repressed uh, true self. Oh, Miss Thing I was a that. queen. So I looked up the background of uh, Reverend William O'Malley, and he was a teacher at a Catholic school, but his role was to direct all of the school's musicals. Oh, I'm so sure. Hit it. And a one, and a two, and a dolly will never go away. <laughs> yes, okay, so that is what I was just going to bring up. This movie, for me, was ruined also by the fact that Scary Movie 2 was my introduction to The Exorcist. Oh, God. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there are some times I was watching this and I was like, oh, man, if I didn't know Scary Movie 2, I could take this a little more seriously. Yeah. But it's like, because it, cause a lot of it is like, you know, shot for shot, but like, you know, of course, exaggerated and spoofed and... Yeah. So like the peeing scene and like <laughs> the, yes. the sing song around the piano. It is so 
comical. So now when I watch this scene, I'm like, this is like the main scene. We're like, I never go away. Like, <laughs> yeah. We yeah, are yeah. just singing Hello, Dolly. <laughs> She's like, um, you guys suck. And peace. Yeah. <laughs> but in this one, she tells this man, his, I guess an astronaut, to um, that he's going to die up there, which is, you know, scary and um, uh, horrific. Hey, rude. I also didn't know what she meant because I didn't know this man was supposed to be an astronaut. And then when I rewatched it, I with subtitles, I noticed that he was saying something about the Gemini mission and the Mercury mission. And I'm like, mm, mm-hmm. oh, okay, he's an astronaut. So when she says you're going to die up there, I was like, got it. Also, Miss Chris's outfit, she said sparkles, fabulous, and itchy. She clears everybody out of the party after that very embarrassing moment. She, like, puts Reagan to bed, and then all of a sudden the bed starts a rocking, so don't come a knocking. <laughs> and she, like, yes. runs up there, and it's like... It's like if, like, a cheap motel vibrating bed, like, <laughs> lost yeah. its mind. Like, gone wrong. <laughs> gone wrong. Oh, my God. And she is just on there. She's like, ah! <laughs> just and then and then Chris jumps on and then that's when she realizes that it's not Reagan just shaking. This whole bed is like up and down in midair, girl. The doctors are all no, it's not the bed. It's her. It's her brain. <laughs> her brain did that. I do enjoy this scene because I think that this movie obviously serves as a blueprint for many more to come in the supernatural aspect of horror movies. And when we have these like cutouts where we tell the story and then we have a really shocking scene and then we tell a story and we have a really shocking scene. So I think Reagan's like actual possession moments that are so iconic probably only take up like 30 to 40 minutes of the film. Yeah. And the film is two hours. So it's like, but I feel like they're sprinkled pretty well. I do feel they're maybe a little too spaced out or we don't get enough of them. I mean, it's definitely is a slow burn of a movie, like takes its time. And like in the one of those slow burn moments, one that we kind of haven't talked about yet is Karis starting to have like dreams of like his mother passing his mother and she's like at the subway but this is where we get the first glimpse of Miss Pazuzu with that (gasps) quick cut which is like a brilliant like moment like you're like watching and all of a sudden you see the demon's face flash on the screen just quickly and you're like wait what did I see that did I miss it an interesting fact about that is that that make that like face was um actually a test of the makeup that was potentially going to be used on Linda Blair as Reagan. And <laughs> can you imagine this black and white oil paint? <laughs> yeah, literally exactly. And, and William Friedkin was like, no, 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 we're not using that. He's like, it looks too much like makeup. And so they scrapped it. So not until editing the movie, this wasn't planned. This wasn't planned to be part of this scene, but he said that in the editing room, um, the editor brought that up again, like brought that reel up again. And he was like, Hmm, He's like, and there was like one shot that looked really kind of unsettling of that person in that makeup. And he's like, yeah. I'm just going to like... Eileen Dietz, who was pissed that sh- she wasn't credited in the movie. I'm right. Like, Girl, you're in two parts. Calm down. Literally, yeah, like 0.2 seconds. And so he reinserted it because he was influenced by some really classic films that did that sort of same thing where they insert just a quick flash of like a flashback or something. Yeah. Um, and so he was inspired by those and he thought it was a great moment to insert there. So that, but that is our first look 
at potentially the actual face of the demon. And that also feeds into the mystique. I mean, we'll get into why people were really passing out in the movie theaters to this, but they were saying that these subliminal images that flash on the screen were some kind of trigger for people to feel nauseated and start vomiting. And that's always been kind of embedded into this like curse of the exorcist. Um, and they used it in an American Horror Stories episode. Like, they kind of talk yeah. about the exorcist did it and, you know, whatever. So, yeah, I, I think that, I think it was a great insertion to put that rejected makeup test into be Pazuzu. Definitely. And then he added a few more of it into, like, the director's cut, um, which weren't originally in there. Oh, yeah. Miss Pazuzu is through and through the director's cut. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. She's like, I'm making appearances. Okay. Yeah. You're going to credit me in this movie. Yeah, motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) So let's move on. All right. Chris subjects Reagan to a series of grueling and painful medical tests, including several loud x-rays and an arteriogram. Girl, those x-ray machines are archaic. Oh my God. That's what I'm saying. Like this, that poor girl. Reagan and Linda Blair was fucking tortured. The, is the trauma her parents divorcing or is the trauma these fucking medical tests, her fucking prescriptions, all this shit I think is adding to this. It's a, it was a different time. They ha- well, could only use the technology that they had. Yeah, some rusty old equipment. And after all this radiation, the doctors are unable to discover anything. <laughs> the best they can come up with is that Reagan may have a lesion on her brain, which can cause hallucinations. This explanation doesn't appease Chris as her brain had nothing to do with the shaking bed. See, she's like, are you kidding me? Her brain did that? She's like, fuck out of here with that. So back at the house, Reagan suffers what appears to be a seizure and two doctors visit to assist. They find her rising and falling up and down on the bed in a way that seems impossible for her to do on her own. Her eyes roll to the back of her head and she yells obscenities in a deep demonic voice played by Mercedes McCambridge. The doctors try to sedate her. She slaps one of them to the floor with abnormal strength. Eventually, they succeed in sedating her. They suggest the situation is a result of her brain lesion, but ultimately they are frustrated when nothing appears on her brain scan. The situation worsens when Chris is out one evening. She returns to find the house deserted except for Reagan, who is alone in her bedroom and appears to be in a deep sleep. The bedroom is freezing cold, the window standing wide open, and Reagan is uncovered. Sharon returns from the pharmacy to a furious Chris who asks why she would leave Reagan unattended, but Sharon explains that she left Reagan in the care of Burke, who is visiting the house while she went to get Reagan's medication. Burke's absence is unexplained until the doorbell rings, and an associate of Chris breaks the news that Burke has just died, falling down the steps outside the house that lead to the street. Chris becomes hysterical upon hearing the news. Just then, Reagan comes crawling down the stairs backward while she growls like an animal, her mouth filled with blood. Yes! So this to me is like some of the scariest shit in the movie and it has nothing to do with her being possessed. (laughs) These like procedures that they put her through, like, oh my God, that one that gets me every time is when they stick that needle in her throat. Yes. Oh my God. And just like... spurts blood all the way down to her feet like (laughs) it's spraying all over the staff literally what the hell this is the scene that actually you know you think that the demonic possession scenes of this movie were so horrific that everybody was throwing up and passing out but actually 
in test screenings, this was the scene that gave people the feeling of sickness was because of the the sight of the blood spurting out of her neck. So it was yeah. just this one little moment in the film that was actually the reason oh. for making most of the audience sick. Yeah, it like makes me like physically ill to watch it. <laughs> it does. It is really nasty, and all of this these tests and things they all look very real. Like it looks like they, they actually do. put Linda Blair through all of this. Maybe they did. I had a really like high thought while I was watching this. <laughs> and you know when they, they like bring up like her brain scan, like her X rays, whatever. I'm like sitting there like mm-hmm. I'm like no, I don't I don't see anything. I'm like bitch, who do I think I am? I'm a doctor. I'm like sitting here like trying to examine with them these like brain x-rays oh shit but something's wrong obviously because they get the doctors get called to the house and miss reagan miss linda blair is being thrown around the bed clearly oh my god but this is the infamous scene that broke miss linda blair's back yeah this is crazy and they just kept going and she's screaming and they thought she was acting this was like a full buffy gilmore moment where it was like and they're like, oh my God, yes. (laughs) Keep going, sweetie. You're doing great. Yes. It looks great, but it looks so painful. But I mean, that's the point. Like, it's not supposed to look comfortable. We're not supposed to be like, oh, look at that demon, you know, serenely possessing her. Like, no, (laughs) like like, this is... For being demonic, she sure does look serene and soft. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, oh my gosh. She looks like she's having a day at the spa. (laughs) (laughs) So this is a really over the top and she starts screaming these things like, you know, oh. fuck me and lick me and fuck all this me, shit. Fuck me. And she's lifting up her nightgown and she's shaking around and doing oh all my this God. shit. She's nasty. Like, and as an audience member, you're like, this is really uncomfortable seeing a little 12 year old panties as she's saying lick me. I was like, oh, as demonic as it is, I'm like, this is pretty vulgar. <laughs> oh my God, it is pretty vulgar. But I mean, that's that's the point. Like, it's fucking vulgar. Like, this child is going through it. Like, they couldn't sugarcoat any of it, you know? And this is probably the only yeah. time that this will ever happen that an actual child of that age would uh, do things like this on screen. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you know what? I was going to say about the, the, all these medical tests and stuff. They're super fucking loud. This is one of the scenes that kind of annoyed me, but um, the x-ray technician, we heard about this, right? This is all a part of the mystique of this film is that he Hmm. was a fucking, a serial killer in real life. And he was responsible for a series of murders referred to as the bag murders in which he would hook up with a bunch of gay guys, a bunch of Fear the Talking Queers, and then would slaughter oh. them and stuff their bodies in bags. Oh my god! And I never got an invite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's an orgy you don't want to miss. Oh my god. Yeah, exactly. Get your tickets on fearthetalkingqueers.com. <laughs> it's never been proven, but he's taken responsibility for them, so. Jesus Christ, that's insane. Insane. This movie's just full of trivia and horrible stories. Oh, totally. And so then we have these, like, doctors, like, they're at their wits' end, too. They have no idea how to explain it. And they're like, their explanations are ridiculous. They're like, um, is she, is she like, on drugs? Yeah. She has a lesion on her brain. Like, hello. Yeah. Of course she's going to jump up and down. Yes, duh. <laughs> Every t- time she's like, no, it's not this. Like, how do you explain that? And he's like, oh, shut up, you woman, basically. Yeah. 
Like, I'm pretty sure know? I'm a doctor and a man, so I know what I'm talking yeah. about. She's like, <laughs> I played a doctor in a goddamn movie, and I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's called Nurse 2D. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my the god, original. yeah, the original starring Ellen Burst. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, okay, so in the book, The Exorcist, Burke is upstairs, or he comes to visit, and Chris isn't there, and Sharon's like, hey, I gotta go pick up med- Reagan's medication, do you mind staying with her? He's like, sure. He goes up to her room and molests her, which is oh. what, how he ends up dying. In the movie, that's not even suggested, but I was like, what more could happen to this poor girl? Exactly. They're like, I, we can skip that part. So in this one, Burke is a stand-up gentleman, I guess. And then... Um, he's actually a fucking alcoholic monster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, but then, so then Miss Chris gets home and amongst everything else, somebody comes over and they're like, oh, by Burke's the way, dead. like... Burke's fucking dead and she's like oh god he he fell down the stairs he's probably drunk and she's hysterical so maybe there was a little romantic connection going on between her and this this man I mean he was definitely like her friend because when Reagan was like just like come on just give it up to him already and he was she was like he's my friend he's my friend and so obviously they they liked each other and uh, yeah. but, but now he's dead. Okay, I cannot believe the travesty of them cutting out the stairs scene from the original cut. Oh yeah, it's not in there. Um, apparently, it was because he thought it looked too. And they they didn't have the technology back then to get rid of the wires. And so, yeah. he's, so they said you could see the wires when it happened. But it's so weird because I thought I thought this scene was like pretty iconic uh, me too but i guess it's only since the director's cut like the re-release maybe which wasn't until 2000 like the, 90s, the 2000s 2000 that's insane yeah. because this movie i feel like this was like one of the vital moments but again there are three versions of this film there's the original theatrical cut there's the director's cut and then there's one called like the version you've never seen or something where it has even more <laughs> it's even longer and louder Oh um, my god. And, <laughs> and so, you know, I was like, I can't believe this iconic moment that I feel we've known for so long actually only came about in our lifetime. Literally. Like, what? Insane. I know. Yeah, and so she like crawls backwards down the stairs really fast. She's like, la, 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 la. she's like, just like, yeah. Ah. Yeah. And she has like all this like red blood in her mouth. And you're like, where is that blood from? Because they never explain it. Not that they need to, I, love, I guess. <laughs> when I went to Halloween Horror Nights back in 2016, this was one of the houses. And um, oh, yeah. I thought that that looked so funny. in the thing Because it's just like a Reagan doll, kind of like you were talking about in The Grudge. It just slides down this oh, yeah. you know, <laughs> machinery. <laughs> yeah. It's all... Hey. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's all creaking back up. Yeah. Like, will somebody get some WD 40 on this bitch? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That's hilarious. Oh my, I know. Um, yeah, so I guess this is a new scene. Or, you know, you if you've never seen the director's cut, then you've never seen the scene. So go out and find it. I think if you've never seen the director's cut, you've never seen The Exorcist. 
Yeah, <laughs> honestly. They're almost like completely different movies. This this director's cut actually, I think, takes more of its time, which I don't have, but um, I think oh it my spent God. more time like explaining. I don't know. It's better. Things. Yeah, Watch it is. It. The doctors go back to the McNeil house. This time, they hypnotize Reagan and ask if there's someone inside of her. She says yes, and she wants it out. The doctor asks the person inside of Reagan to come forward. Reagan's face and voice changes as she grabs the doctor by his groin, viciously growls. Detective Kinderman, played by Lee J. Cobb, finds Father Karras, asking him if he knows anything about witchcraft were it... Oh, fucking... Can't say that. Asking him if he knows anything about witchcraft. Wor- ah, I can't say that. <laughs> Detective Kinderman, played by Lee J. Cobb, finds Father Karras asking him if he knows anything about witchcraft rituals. He is curious to know if the desecration of the Virgin Mary statue is related to an occult ritual that may also be connected to the death of Burke Dennings. Kinderman suspects Burke was murdered as his head was twisted all the way around, which is seemingly impossible to have occurred during the fall. Kinderman asks Karis if he has counseled any of the priests who may be showing signs of mental illness. Karis declines knowing anything as he has to remain confidential as a priest and a psychiatrist. Which is very convenient that he is both in this <laughs> yeah. situation. Oh my god, thank god. Thank thank god they found the, the one priest, psychiatrist, boxer... Uh, who, uh, you know, exists in Georgetown. <laughs> Out of options, doctors inform Chris they think Reagan has what is called somnambuliform possession. Som- somnambuliform possession. A disorder in which trauma leads to the delusion that one is possessed by a spirit or demon. The doctors reluctantly discuss the idea of an exorcism. While they seem to hold professional contempt for it, they do admit that it has been known to psychosomatically solve the disorder. Because if the patient believes their mental illness is demonic possession, then typically their belief is an exorcism can help to cure it. (laughs) Two. Take a hit. Oh, two Two hits? Two hits. Yeah. Okay. All right. Fuck. Chris is skeptical, having no real religious affiliation of her own. Although, when Chris returns home, she finds one of the housekeepers has placed a crucifix under Reagan's pillow. Shortly after this, Chris is visited by Detective Kinderman. While investigating the scene of Burke's death, he notices the stairs led right under Reagan's bedroom window. He questions Chris about what could have possibly happened, but she admits she doesn't know, although she becomes concerned about Reagan's possible involvement. She explains Reagan is sick as the detective notices the little clay designs Reagan created. When Kinderman leaves, Reagan begins to make a ruckus upstairs. Her regular voice and her demonic voice seem to be arguing. Chris runs upstairs to find objects flying around the room as Reagan is forced to violently masturbate with the crucifix. When Chris tries to stop her, Reagan slaps Chris to the floor and her head abnormally twists completely backwards. Oh Oh my god. God. Ew. Okay, so (laughs) from the top... Um, this scene where they hypnotize Reagan, I think, is really brilliant, and I think it really shows off the effects that they were able to use in the movie, like the, her face changing suddenly. Um, yeah, I thought it was really well done. I was like, ooh, I, was, I even wrote, I was like, oh god, did her face change? Yeah, it's like sort of subtle, but uh, just enough to make it really, really creepy. Yeah. And um, I have to say that Miss Mercedes McCambridge did a great job yes. doing the vocals for Pazuzu. Do you know the story about her? Well, she I heard that she was 
sober. She was a previous. Yeah, she had been so an she was an alcoholic. Yeah, she was like a friend of William Friedkin from when he used to work in radio because you know this movie's old, and so so <laughs> this is again one of those things that he was like. This is an act of God bringing her into this because like I hadn't thought about her in forever. He's like, and when I had to think of somebody whose voice could sound not only like a woman's, but also like a man's, I thought of Miss Mercedes McCambridge (laughs) and pulled her ass out of hiding because she was like a severe alcoholic who, um, sorry, not even a severe, a suicidal alcoholic who was like, um, She's like, all right, if you want me to do, do this for you, I'll do it for you. But I just let, got to let you know that I got to have whiskey running down this throat. I got to have eggs going down here. Like she, she was smoking like crazy. Like she compromised her sobriety. Swallowing raw eggs, drinking shots of whiskey, and she was smoking them cigarettes, girl. Yeah. And they said that when she recorded for um, the movie, that in order to get the authenticity, she would literally tie herself to a chair she'd be strung up everywhere just like reagan was so she can authentically get those like grunts and those like that like strain in the voice they say is one of the most like like the darkest places they've ever seen anybody go for a, a voiceover in a movie she adds so much to it this is the story that the rumor was she originally didn't want to be credited in the film because she didn't want to take away from Linda's performance. But when the film blew up and she was going to be nominated for an Oscar and things like that, Ms. Mercedes is like, no, wait a minute. I did the vocal work. And to think about yeah. all this work that she put in to deliver a vocal performance is, I mean, she basically brought out her own demons to portray one. And I think right. that that is really remarkable. And I think that her work definitely needs to be recognized for this film. Oh, for so. sure. Wow. She had a she had a fight. She had to like sue to get her her credit. Her name and those credits. Yeah, what she deserves. So R.I.P. Wherever you are, um, we hope you're getting yours finally. Yes. <laughs> oh, pardon me. <laughs> oh shit. Mercedes. <laughs> Mercedes. <laughs> she, she's speaking to <laughs> me. <laughs> the spirit of Mercedes is here in person. <laughs> Welcome to the show, girl. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my oh my god I was waiting <laughs> your whole body and face changed doing that burp it was Miss Mercedes coming through yeah, she, she said, was saying thank you she was saying thank she, she, you she was like what an excellent day for an exorcism <laughs> oh my god take a hit oh fuck <laughs> oh my god I'm getting fucking blasted this eye is starting to rear its ugly head. Uh, oh, we're Mer- we're like Mercedes. We are channeling her spirit because we're like her. We're feeding into our demons <laughs> to give you a bomb ass episode. Absolutely. I hope you're enjoying it so far. <laughs> I won't remember any of it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'll be fucking dead by the end of this. Detective Kinderman finding Father Karras. And- <laughs> I, I do like this conversation, though. Um, oh, yeah. We talk about Burke Dennings, his head being turned all the way around which couldn't have been from his fall down the stairs. And we talk about mental illness. And I do like this correlation of the mental illness versus being demonically possessed, especially we'll get to it later in the scene. But when he's like, they don't do exorcisms anymore because our knowledge of mental illness has come far a long way. Um, So I think that this Uh, is... You said the word, by the way. You have to take a hit. Oh my God. (laughs) I'm dumb now and I forgot. 
God. Okay. But your point, yes, your point is correct. Right? Okay, so, yes. And so I do like this thought, especially because I feel like The Exorcist was sort of like the godmother, if you will, of the satanic panic that came in the late 70s throughout the 80s. Of course, Um, yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, this movie is about, you know, is about the paranoia of, of like the evil part of religion you know yeah because there's like there's a good and an evil and this is about how do we accept the existence of evil um you know we're so we so easily accept the existence of good but like it's so hard for us to believe like that there's an existence of evil and in this movie is like nah like this is what would happen if it was as blatant as you believe in jesus you know let me let me tell you this, listeners. Evil is real. Oh my I'm, god. I'm looking at her right I now. Yeah, I was like, I'm looking at that bitch right here. <laughs> I'm looking at this bitch right now. I have to look at this bitch every week. I know she exists. She's right here. Her name is Jake. <laughs> okay, when I first watched this scene where the doctors were like out of options and they were like, okay, well, I think we've come to the conclusion that what she needs is an exorcism. Like she has got to get this demon out of her but at first that's how i took it and i was like not them suggesting this like they're doctors and she's like are you fucking joking she's like am i hearing this correctly that you're suggesting an e-word right now like (laughs) oh oh i said it didn't i (laughs) oh my did you i did oh fucking dumb bitch okay oh my god you're welcome (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i mean but i mean it's like what do you do like they are so there's like there's nothing wrong there's nothing wrong with her like this has to be it but at least they are they are approaching it from like a a medical standpoint because they're like if she if she believes it and then you get her one of those maybe that will be the cure maybe it's it's psychosomatic like you have to get into you have to like play their game in order for them to uh you know finally give it up i there may be something to this because i remember watching a documentary of this guy who's not a priest but he does exorcisms on real people and like part of some of these people were in the documentary and they were like experiencing these convulsions and you know that they attributed to being a demonic possession and there were like actually i think multiple people who performed possessions in their own way in their own spirituality yeah and some of them would throw up after because but basically it is psychosomatic like you're they're telling you to throw up so you do and then you're like right. that was it that was it and you're like oh my god you're right because i feel so much better yeah exactly <laughs> exactly um yeah and those people were all proven wrong by uh the mystery inc so. Right. <laughs> like, I would have gotten away with it if it weren't for you stupid kids and that meddling dog. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so then um, this next scene, there, this scene is brilliant. And there's so much tension in this scene where with uh, Detective Kinderman and Chris when he comes to her house. And, and oh, my God, it's beautifully written, beautifully acted. And it's just this really tense scene where Detective Kinderman's having this, like, friendly conversation with her and also like slightly implying that her daughter might be responsible for killing a man and she and Ellen Burstyn as Chris is like playing where she's like she can't let on but she's also like coming to the realization that herself that it's 
absolutely possible at this point that it could be her who did it and like she's yeah. keeping it in and he's and it's just like this sort of game that they're playing but you know what if she were a real down ass mama she'd be like miss ginger snaps mom where she would have been like <laughs> you know what i did see him get into a fight with my housekeeper carl uh, the other mother the other motherfucking night it was carl <laughs> case closed like, i know exactly who did it Um, (laughs) but no and it's also like you know now she's like has this other extra layer to worry about like now the fucking police are involved in this and so she's like stressed but she's trying to keep it together and William Friedkin in that documentary I watched on Shudder pointed this moment out and I was like oh this is so good where um, where Detective Kinderman's like oh no she, uh, she thinks that she's like gonna be able to end the conversation when she's like uh, do you want another cup of coffee? Thinking he's going to be like, oh no, I'm good. And he's going to go. And he goes, please. And you could see it on her face. And she's like, fuck. She's like, he won't let up. Oh, I know. It's just so good. It's, that is that is good. I'll have to really, rewatch that scene too. Yeah, watch that, that scene. Kind of just for the acting and the directing and uh, the, the writing. Like that is just like a perfect scene. And just played so brilliantly. Yeah. And then ends that shit with a... Oh, can I have an autograph? I'm like, gross. Right now? Yeah. And he's like, for my daughter. She's like, what's her name? He's like, just kidding. It's for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, oh, like, and But she, she's playing into it. She's like, okay, whatever changes the conversation. This scene is obviously very iconic. I think it's probably stained in the mind of Americana. Oh, it is yeah. so disgustingly brutal and violent Oof. and atrocious. And I think that we found the scene that made all the Catholics sick. This is gross. Oh, yeah, because she runs in there and sees her young daughter uh, doing something very, very... Stabbing her vagina with a cross, a crucifix. There we go, yeah. So that's exactly what she's doing. Yes, she's horrible. And then she sticks Chris's face in her... Oh, yeah, she's lick me, lick me. And she's smearing the blood all over her face. Then Chris is like, ah, stop. And then she just boom, boom smacks that bitch in the face and knocks her over and she's all oh my god poor miss ellen burston got a permanent spinal injury that she has to this day over this scene being yanked back and it was sort of intentional i know that william freakin really tried to push his actors to the limit to get genuine reactions from them like he shot a gun at jason miller and oh oh my god yeah that's a huge one like that's a could you imagine that fucking technique like shooting guns to startle actors to get that that reaction and in this thing i watched he's like yeah i did do that he's like that's something that would never be accepted today but that's what all the greats did (laughs) in the dark ages oh yeah oh my god what is wrong with you and like apparently mr jason miller was like I am an actor. I can act startled. Thank you. Please don't shoot guns. Yeah. I mean, he can, he, people, people could have gone deaf. People could have, you know, you never know. Like <laughs> Jason Miller insane. was just pissed throughout this whole shoot. He was like, I have fucking pea soup in my fucking eye. My head was blazed by a fucking bullet. Like, what the fuck? I mean, this had to be the most brutal, brutal. shoot any of them. I will say, though, that the genuine look of pain on Miss Ellen Burstyn's face was yeah. everything. You're like, oh, fuck. This is real. Yeah, It's a crazy scene. Every time we see Reagan, it's even more insane. And so what's, what can happen now? 
Desperate, Chris arranges to meet with Father Karis, and when she mentions the notion of exorcism, Karis is almost oh, amused. Oh no, I'm amused. I do. Oh my god, here we go. <sighs> puff puff. Oh no. Where was I? Okay. He tells her that exorcism. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, this got an S on it. <laughs> Does that count? <laughs> it's a different oh. word. He tells her that those are no longer performed since psychological developments have led to a better understanding of mental illnesses. Chris is distraught and convinces him to meet with Reagan anyway. Karis is shocked by the girl's appearance. She is tied to the headboard of her bed, and her face is discolored and covered in cuts and lesions. Reagan announces that she is the devil, and teases Karis speaking in multiple voices and saying that his mother is inside of her. Karis asks her what his mother's maiden name is. Unable to answer, Reagan suddenly vomits all over him. Chris cleans Karis' sweater and discusses Reagan with him. Karis is still not convinced that Reagan is possessed, especially because Reagan says she's the devil, a grandiose delusion typically seen in schizophrenic patients. Also, her use of multiple voices could be a sign of split personalities. He recommends psychiatric care for her in the best possible facility. Chris pleads with him to help her obtain an exorcism. (laughs) 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 Bitch. Oh, God. (laughs) I was like laughing. I was like, my eyes are like pulsing out of my head. You're fucking high, bitch. (laughs) Okay. Before Karis leaves, he asks if Reagan knew his mother had died, but Chris says Reagan is unaware. Karis visits Reagan again and she teases him, saying it's a wonderful day for an exorcism, and teases him. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm gonna put my shit on the low setting because this is out of control. She also teases him by causing a drawer to open on its own. Reagan says the exorcism will only bring the demon and Karis closer together. <laughs> we should have counted. It was like 10 fucking hits. Yeah, shit. Okay. I've never smoked this much in my life, I think. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, great. Okay. Karis records their conversation, during which he sprinkles Reagan with water. He tells her it is holy water, and she begins to groan in pain and speak in tongues. Afterward, Karis tells Chris that it will be difficult to make a case with the bishop for possession. The water he sprinkled on Reagan was simply tap water and was not blessed. Chris confides in Karis and tells him that she believes Reagan was the one who killed Burke Dennings. Karis uses his tape recordings of Reagan's seemingly incomprehensible babble to discover that she is really speaking backwards in English. He notices she is saying, fear the priest, as well as the name Marin. A phone call from Sharon interrupts his discovery. She asks him to come to the house to see Reagan, not wanting Chris to see what's happening. They look at Reagan's unconscious body and see the words, help me, begin to materialize on her stomach, rising up in her skin like scar tissue. So, um, again, Miss Ellen Burson's killing it because this scene where she first meets Karis, and she, at this point she's like, after what happened to her in that bedroom, she's just fully resigned to this is the it. She has to be fucking possessed. She's like, I need you to perform an E-word on her. And he's like, uh... They don't do E-words anymore. Yeah, and she's like, I don't give a fuck. She's like, you're gonna do one. He's like, I can't, I can't. She's like, oh my god, will somebody please help me? And I just... uh, Honestly, I feel like the biggest horror in this movie is 
her story. I honestly do. Like, what do you do for a child that is like beyond any help and nobody is willing to help you and things are just getting worse and people around you are dying? She's just, it's horrifying. And I don't, I wonder if it's like a metaphor for like child illness or something or like, you know, having to deal with that. Well, that's what I was like, not Hollywood's warning to people to not divorce each other while they raising kids. Oh my God. I know. <laughs> this will be your daughter yeah. if you get divorced. So be unhappy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Literally. Maybe that's it. Yeah. Um, but he's like, fine. I'll, I'll go meet her. And so then he goes over there and he, he's like pretty fucking convinced because when he walks through that door, and what she looks like. Oh, she's like green coming out of all these cuts on her. Um, William Friedkin was like, those are all like self-induced. Like, I mean, obviously she's not doing it herself, but it's not like... They like appear on her skin from within. Yeah, but I think that it's... I wonder if she did it with the crucifix like off screen or what I'm, I don't know. What the, oh, like what the idea behind that, the cuts are. Yeah. Yeah. Because they are supposed to be self-inflicted later on when they're like actually like doing the, the ritual, um, they throw the holy water on her and then they show a cut just burst open on her leg. And so I was oh. like, Oh, that's how these cuts appear. Oh, I see. Okay. All right. Yeah. And so then he like, he's like, okay, well, uh, I guess I'll try some tests. He throws some holy water on her or some shit. She pretends it works because yeah. the devil's a liar. Am I out of order? It, they're kind of blended all in together. This Karis section of him like discovering Reagan and learning and recording and doing this, it's all one big blur. Yeah, because like he like goes in and out and in and out and back and forth and back and forth. So we do have like uh like calls out his mother where he's like, it's like your mom's in here. And he's like, Oh yeah, what's her middle name? Oh, no, her maiden name. <laughs> Not her middle name. <laughs> Elizabeth. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and then Reagan can't answer, so she throws up. Pazuzu is sort of a comedian. Oh, yeah. Uh, like, this whole thing, like, what a wonderful day. And then, like, uh, when he goes, your mother's in here with this. Would you like to leave a message? I'll be sure she gets it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cheeky bitch. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, is, a like, a, vo- a voice artist can do many different voices. Yeah. You know, I think, yeah, Pazuzu is definitely a showman. Yeah. Definitely deserves to headline Vegas. <laughs> yeah, so then they, they end up discovering that uh, this, like, gibberish, like, speaking in tongues is actually, like, speaking backwards in English and calling up Marin, who we have not seen since the very beginning of this movie. I thought he died in Iraq. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. No, he didn't. He's just been hiding out, and he's been... Uh, waiting for this confrontation because in Iraq when it happened you know all of that was like him confronting an old foe an old adversary oh yeah because we find out right. when they start to try to get him to come like these like higher ups in the Catholic Church is like bishop or whatever they're like talking and <laughs> he's like oh yeah like he's like yeah he's done this before and the other one's like but no I've never heard anything he's like girl yes he did (laughs) yes he did he did this before and so i think we're supposed to like this movie is the rematch this is the redemption you're right this is pazuzu's redemption it was like yeah we're gonna uh, go at this one more time yeah and this this um idea also plays out 
in um, the Exorcist TV show because the priest who is like known to be like an exorcist and things like that, they when they ask him to come and do it, it's the same demon that he confronted years before in a different country. Um, but just in a different person. So this kind of happens, this kind of plays out there in that way too. Oh, okay, and then this practical effect of Help Me appearing on her stomach, just the the fact that it was like a chemical reaction that they would blow dry down so that it would, it would like melt back down. And then they played it in reverse so that it looks like it's appearing instead of disappearing. What Ooh, a great practical effect. What a clever idea, 1970, whatever. I mean, at this point, <laughs> I literally wrote down, at this point, I'd be like, kill her. This fucking kill her. <laughs> she literally has words appearing in her stomach at this point. Like, there's no, we're not winning this. I'd be like, I love you. Yeah, I'll see you in hell, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Go to hell, bitch. What else can this poor girl suffer through? Let's find out. Karis reports, reports his findings to the, the bishop, bishop and he agrees to the exorcism as a form of therapy based on Karis's professional opinion. The church wants someone more experienced to perform the ritual and will have Karis assist as a psychiatrist. They debate... <gasps> Did you say you said the word? I said psychiatrist. No, you said he reports his findings to the bishop and he agrees to the... Oh, God As a damn. form of therapy. <laughs> I'm running out of weed in my pen. They debate, they debate Father Marin while he's older. He has experience having recently performed an exorcism 10 years prior in Africa that lasted months. However, it took a toll on his health. <coughs> Ultimately, they summon Marin to perform the exorcism. Marin arrives at the McNeil house one night via taxi. As he approaches the house, the light from Reagan's room shines down on him through the dense fog. Ah, uh, iconic. Iconic. It's iconic. Movie image. I had to add it to the synopsis because I was like, this is the poster. This is the image that's synonymous with this film. And you you said it again. So. Oh my God. I don't know if I can smoke anymore. Okay. Okay. We got this. <laughs> oh God. Okay. As they prepare for the E-word, Marin warns Karis about conversing with the demon and reminds him that the demon will mix lies with the truth to trick and attack them. When they enter Reagan's bedroom, she immediately begins with a string of obscenities. Marin and Karis recite the ritual of E-word, and Reagan manifests strange phenomena such as levitation, telekinesis, an abnormally long tongue, and strange vomiting. <laughs> Shampoo! <laughs> she constantly curses the priests and emits evil laughter and verbal abuse. Reagan begins to talk to Karis in the voice of his mother, and he starts to break down. Marin sends him away. When Karis returns to the room, he finds Marin dead on the floor. Reagan is freed from her straps and cackles gleefully, infuriating Karis, who grabs her and shouts for the demon to take him. During the struggle, Reagan snatches Karis's necklace, which holds a religious medallion. The demon transfers to Karis immediately. Karis's face begins to disfigure as Reagan returns to her normal self. Before Karis can harm Reagan, he's able to gain control of his body and commit suicide by hurling himself out of Reagan's window. Just as Burke did, he tumbles down the stairs outside Reagan's window and lays dying in the street below. By chance, Father Dyer happens upon the scene and administers the last rites to his friend. Some time passes, Chris and Reagan are preparing to leave the Georgetown house. They are visited by Father Dyer. Chris speaks with him privately and tells him that Reagan doesn't remember anything about the possession or the E-word. 
Reagan then appears and greets him cheerfully, transfixed by Father Dyer's white collar. Before they leave, she innocently and suddenly hugs and kisses Father Dyer. As they drive off, Chris orders the driver to stop for a moment and gives Father Dyer the religious medallion that belonged to Father Karras. He watches as the McNeils drive away from the neighborhood for good. The end. So Father Marin steps back onto the scene. I think it's really um, interesting that Max von Sydow was only 44 when he filmed this. And they yeah, made him they look 90. Him a, yeah, old ass makeup. And I'm like, why? They said his <laughs> makeup took longer than Reagan's. Yeah. Like, I don't get it. And I'm like, why don't you just hire somebody actually old? <laughs> why waste all these resources making this man look 100 years old? Five hours of makeup to look 30 years older. Um. So, yeah. So, Marin shows up at, like a boss on the scene. He's all, don't do this. Don't do that. Follow me. Do this. You're not going to do that. <laughs> don't talk to the demon. Don't do this. Don't do this. <laughs> so scandalous. Just- oh Oh my god yeah (laughs) anyway he knows the rules but then again they were like no they don't do the exorcisms anymore he went to but he did one in africa 10 years ago yeah well yeah so then they're saying that like that like i said before like this is like the rematch but that that the whole beginning oh this is what he said that the whole beginning of the film that whole Iraq sequence is a premonition, or he, it's him having a premonition. So when he picks up that thing and he's noticing all those like paranoid people around him and he's having all these moments, yes. it's because he's actively having a premonition of him and Pazuzu uh, b- about to fight again, that in the future they will fight again. And so that's what that whole opening sequence is about. Oh. And so... Yeah, so now this is the final. Like this, now we're getting to the rematch that he already knew he was going to be fighting. Like, Marin comes in having prepared for this. That's what he's just been waiting for Pazuzu to show his ass up. All these characters seem to have like memories or something when they have like these dream sequences. It's all about um, predestination that these people were all supposed to meet at some point so they're all having like collectively the same thoughts the same dreams that's why like yeah like the thing with the, the medals and um having flashes of the same things in their dreams and things like that yeah it's it's all meant to be it's because this was all predestined just like the, the fight that was supposed to happen between Marin and and pazuzu well now Marin has showed up to uh, you know, do the jerk, do the jerk, Jesus Christ, do the work. And uh, he goes in there and they, they give it their best college try, bitch. They go in there and they're doing the chanting. They're sprinkling the water. They're saying the prayers. Yeah, people are getting barfed on. Like, it's crazy. I love that part when he, when he gets barfed on and then uh, Karis just goes and washes it and puts it back on him. I'm like, ooh, not that. Now it's like a wet, nasty barf scarf. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's gross. But I, I do like the the way that the demon teases them, like by you know yelling obscenities and trying to make personal yeah. connections using the mother's voice, the tongue. <laughs> yeah, this is a great display of effects. Um, oh, for sure. Like that levitation. 
is really iconic. Good. Oh my gosh, the levitation, the eyes rolling back. The, and the way this uh, whole sequence is filmed, from the time that Marin gets out of the taxi and we have that beautiful shot, the light coming through the fog onto him from the window. And then um, leading to this, like when she breaks through of the straps and then she starts to float up, the lighting and the color are just really beautiful almost like the purples and the greens and and the lighting looks very modern like it like this is one of the moments in the film where i'm like this doesn't look like an old movie it looks fairly new for sure it definitely holds up we've seen throughout the movie we didn't really acknowledge this but uh marin has been taking pills for an obvious heart condition and so in this moment when karis leaves um, he like sends him out and then he dies. He like his heart can't handle it, leaving Karis to be the only one to to finish it out. And, and there's a nice little scene between him and Chris, like in between where he's like, she's like, is it over? Like, she's like hopeful. And he's like, he's like, bitch, no. He's like, let's do another round. And then she's like, is she going to die? And he's like, all right, this is my last one. This is my Hail Mary. This is my last chance to make things right. And, you know, he feels guilty about his mother at this point. We kind of, you know, he... Yeah, he's ready to accept a certain fate. Right, exactly. I think he he felt like he could have done more to help his mother. And maybe in, in doing this act he will sort of write that wrong as he he'll help somebody else who's in need or something. I don't know. That's how I was like trying to rationalize this. I just love when he first walks in and she's just like chilling on the bedpost. Marin's literally dead. And then he like goes up and then she's all like such a little bitch, little brat, but it's so funny, but I just love how calm she is. She's like just chilling there. Like, just like, I'm just going to beat her up now. Like, there's he like punches her in her face twice and then goes, <laughs> take me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, literally. And then somehow this works. Yeah. And, and the demon's and he like, becomes, all right, fine. His change isn't subtle. He changes right away. His face becomes ugly. Yeah, exactly. Pazuzu's at its, at its full potential at this point. Full just power. Goes right, goes right into Karis and they're having their own battle. And then he's all, bye. And just launches ah! out the window. Yeah. Ah! Splat and um, Reagan's fine. She's it's gone. She made it. She made it. And with all this she physical harm, um, back to William Friedkin's eccentricness on set, he slapped eccentricity. William O'Malley, who plays Father Dyer, right across the face so that he could have a genuine, sh- like, oh, shaky yeah. reaction to finding. Harris on the ground dead. Yeah, this is fucked up because, you know, this man wasn't an actor. He was an actual priest. A priest. And a queen. Yeah, queenie priest. (laughs) And he had to have this really emotional scene, but, you know, not everybody's going to be able to tap into that right away. And so he slapped, like, hits him in the face and the ghost action and then this man was like oh god like and that but there is a really like i couldn't tell if this was eerie or if this was like sweet because when he is giving him the last rites you see his hand like come out and and, like grab uh dryer's hand like like holding it i was like is that (laughs) creepy or is that really sweet yeah so i mean i don't know it's It's sort of it's sort of both yeah it's sort of like disgustingly beautiful yeah it was like sad to see that he was still alive i think yeah with his neck turned all the way around (laughs) okay my favorite effect from this section was also the double exposure of pazuzu's face on reagan's face 
And just that mix of the two faces oh, briefly yeah. when she looks at Father Karras, I was like, ooh, creepy. Yeah, it's yeah. So they do some really incredible things with the light. Oh my god, we didn't even talk about that iconic scene of her stretching with like the backlit, and then you oh, see Pazuzu, like the that demon, is like, a gorgeous oh. shot. It's a gorgeous shot. She looks like a fucking rock star. She was like, yeah. hell, how you doing tonight? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it's very beautifully lit. The lighting and the lighting seems so advanced for the other films yeah. that I've seen in the 70s. Like, this is a great piece of art. Yeah, they, they did the damn thing for sure. But we, we've gotten to the end and she saved and Chris is like, I'm getting the fuck out of Georgetown. This is not the place for me. I belong in Hollywood because I'm an actress. Yeah, I'm out of here. And she doesn't remember ever, anything. So that means that she is no longer implicated in all these murders, <laughs> right? Yeah. That's how this works. Yeah, she's been acquitted. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, okay, by the time we get to the end of this, I'm like, honestly, not until like you further explaining it and reading through the synopsis multiple times and watching both versions did i understand what the connection was to like iraq i think the idea of the premonition is really poetic and beautiful and i'm gonna go with that when i watch it the next time because i think that that makes way more sense no yeah there's there's definitely way more to it like i literally watched a 45 minute thing on youtube about it today just about the first 10 minutes of the movie (laughs) It was thought out. It, there's a reason behind it. Um, yeah. But, of course, this is open to a lot of interpretation. So, you know, you never know. Maybe maybe some people don't believe it has anything to do with anything. That it's a waste of uh, money to yeah. go to Iraq. Ooh, we have an audio message from Jensen at the Fright Crew podcast about The Exorcist. Thank you for sending us a message, Jensen. Welcome him to the show. And let's see what he has to say. What's spooky, you bitches? It's me, Jensen, from the Fright Crew Podcast. Yeah. So when it comes to The Exorcist, it's honestly a near-perfect film if you think about it. But assuming you'll jump into William Friedkin's little bitch ass, you'll know it's unassumingly perfect because of his decisions behind the camera. I mean, leave it to him to cause Linda Blair to hate us horror nerds so much because of what she went through on set. And of course, shout out to Ellen Burstyn's back. (laughs) Uh, but regardless, it's all—it's it, still an iconic film for so many fucking reasons, and that's why whenever we all sit down to watch this flick, it seemingly gets better with subsequent viewings. So anyway, keep up the killer work with the pod guys, and I hope you guys have the spookiest of spooky Halloweens this year. It's going to be a good one. Yeah, this is very a very vulgar and offensive movie. <laughs> to the point true. where uh, these Catholics and Christians that saw this movie come out were after Miss Linda Blair's throat. Yeah, she had to hire bodyguards. Bodyguards for six months after the film's release just so she could stay safe. That is just... Abs- they thought she was really the devil or she really channeled the devil. Like, come on. What are your final thoughts? I have mine. I mean, this movie <laughs> is obviously a classic. I think it's... A- brilliantly thought out very beautiful um i mean i don't know if it maybe still holds up as the scariest movie of all time no I, but, I, but i get what but I, it has a lot of scary elements that are more than just 
horror. Like, there's just so many different metaphors in here for yeah, mental you know, illness, mental illness, or uh, you know, a mother-daughter relationship, and you know, you're seeing your daughter grow up, or you know, yeah, become puberty. <laughs> yeah, puberty. Sure. The effects of parents onto the child. Yeah, yeah. or like the like the paranoia of an investigation about your child. What do you believe? I don't know. There's so much. There's so many scary things in this movie, not just True. the demonic possession. And so I appreciate it for those kind of things. So I do think it's, there's a reason it holds it as a classic. It's Is it yeah. like my favorite movie? No, by no means. But yeah. I respect it. I understand that this movie is so much more than just our the typical horror fair. And so I got to yes. give it its props. Um, my personal rating, I give it like a four out of five. But, like, I get why for a lot of people it's more than that, you know? True, yeah. A lot of nostalgia. And, again, my opinion on this film totally comes from the fact that I just watched it. And so, of course, like, it's not part of my nostalgia. It's not part of my upbringing or anything. Like, you know, I have no connection to this film. So my thoughts are a lot different. I think that the practical effects are great. The makeup, the lighting, the set design are all really fantastic. Um, every technical aspect is brilliant and beautiful yeah. in this movie. Except the sound design. I, I honestly could have done without the extremely low lows and the very loud highs. Right. Um, but I too can appreciate this movie for being a classic and really providing a blueprint for future movies. I think that demonic possession is just a scary subgenre, like I said. But for this to be like the scariest movie ever made, like that was my thought going into this. Because I've I've seen the scary scenes and I'm like, that is really scary for 1973 and and even today it's really scary. But I think when you put it together with the rest of the movie, it's sort of just... I don't know. It feels a little more, it feels lackluster when you watch the whole movie all together. Mm-hmm. Um, I th- because I think where this movie really succeeds is the last 30 minutes. Like, I'm like, that's what I came to watch. That's what I thought <laughs> I was watching. <laughs> but I get the storytelling of it all. And I do think that, like you said, all the metaphors are really great. I think I'm learning to appreciate this more as I learn more about it. Right. But, yeah. you know, it's also the film's mystique, so the, all the mystery surrounding the movie about it being this cursed project. And that obviously also really helped establish its classic status, its success, its legacy. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. And I think it's, I don't think it would like appeal to like people who are more accustomed to like 90s and on, you know? Yeah. I didn't, I didn't feel scared after. I, I felt like the lead up was like boring and loud, but then like the possession scenes were good, but they were more gross than like scary. But I would give my final rating as being like a three out of five because I, yeah. I won't put this on my regular agenda <laughs> to watch this movie, yeah. but I can appreciate its status. And, and of course, you know, it's one of the reasons that these horror movies that we love so much exist. So I have to give sure? it extra points for that. All right. Well, that's the exorcist. I hope we made it through. <laughs> if we, uh, the E word really got us. You know what? I'm going to say it. Exorcism. Ah, one more. Ah, one more. I'm going to sleep through work tomorrow. Ooh, all right. Um, so <laughs> prepare next week. We have another great Halloween time movie coming. Yeah. What do we have? We have our horror musical of the season, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh my God. I cannot wait. It is so one of my favorite movies. 
ever, ever, ever. We've talked about it on other podcasts, but it's time to bring that shit to Fear the Talking Queers. So get ready for another uh, October fun day, spinning the wheels, another trick, another treat. Whatever will they be. Uh, So uh, don't forget, uh, follow us on social media. You can find us at Fear the Talking Queers on Instagram. Visit our website, www.fearthetalkingqueers.com. Hey, leave us a fucking Apple podcast review. Uh, This is our time of year, so we want to feel all the love. All of it. Happy Halloween. And I'm so high. (laughs) I'm like looking at myself in the mirror as you're talking. I'm like, wow, bitch. You can't even open his eyes. Thank you for tuning in. Leave us an Apple Podcast review. We love you. Welcome to October. We've made it. And sweet screams, bitch. Bye. (laughs) Bye.